Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Help us, Lord. God have mercy. God have mercy. And now more than ever, you need your brothers and your sisters. You need your church family. I need everybody to say amen. Amen. You need your church family. We all we got. Did you hear me? We all we got. It's awful, dreadful, evil, ungodly, and sinful. What is going on in our country today? If it is true, and I believe that it is true, that God judges a people morally, then I don't know. Is there any depth of morality, lack thereof, that we haven't reached yet? Probably. I really believe the U.S., we have God to pay. We owe God. And God's going to collect. He expected us as a nation to be godly. He expected us as a nation to honor him. The principles that this nation was founded upon, God expected us to live up to that, and that is why we have been a blessed nation. Conversely, when we don't live up to that, God will judge this nation. You better pray. You, had, you need to get as close to God as possible in these here last days. Am I right about it, somebody? time for playing around there's no time for Jesus is coming I'm gonna wait while you all clap your hands there I don't God waited for 400 years to judge the Canaanites for their wickedness our God is slow to anger forgiving and always gracious God used Israel to judge the Canaanites and God will use anything or anyone to give you a whooping why because he loves you and he wants you to be holy and he wants you to be happy. I think of Proverbs 3.11. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Deuteronomy 8.5. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord, your God, chastens you. 
Hebrews 12, 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons, my son. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Contrary to popular thought, listen, God is not interested in making you happy. God does not exist to make you happy. God's goal is to make you holy. And if you are holy, then you will find that you are happy. But if you are happy and not holy, you will find that you're not happy. I think that's right. God wants us to be holy. And God will do anything and allow anything. And God will discipline us at any moment, all for the sole purpose is to make you holy. God is a God who will hurt in order to heal. God will even allow you to suffer to make you holy, and then he'll heal you. So God is using the Philistines to make Israel holy, and he allowed Israel to be defeated as a chastening mechanism. Now listen, it's difficult to pin it down, but the chronology seems to indicate during this time, Samson is active. Around this time, Samson has killed 30 Philistines and taken their clothes. Many believe at this time, Samson had already tied fire to the tail of foxes and burned many, many acres of Philistine country. So the fact that the Philistines have taken the Ark of the Covenant gives them a false sense of victory over the Israelites. The Philistines capture the Ark of God and they bring it into the temple of Dagon and they set it before the deity Dagon. In verse 3, look at verse 3 again. I'm confident that the people were excited in light of all that Samson is doing and his exploits. They have the Ark of God in their possession. They think that God, their God is stronger than Israel's God. This is a great day for them. They're happy. They're slapping five to each other, high five, you know, pound. Yeah, yeah, we got them. And they wake up the next morning and they go to the temple and they find that their deity, Dagon, had fallen and he couldn't get up. Now, before we move forward, I want you to see something here. That they discovered the deity Dagon had fallen and couldn't get up. They discovered it in the morning. That means that God forced Dagon on his face sometime in the midnight hour. It appears to me as you look through scripture, God does his best work in the midnight hour. I told you I was going to talk about this, honey, didn't I? We were talking about this. Was it this morning or last night? I forget. We're talking about God does his best work in the midnight hour. God does his best work. Exodus 12, 29, the Bible tells us it came to pass at midnight, the Lord smote the firstborn in Egypt. Judges 16.3, Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and walked away with them. Psalm 119.62, at midnight I will rise to give thanks to you. Acts 16.25, at midnight Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises to God. All of this happened at midnight. In the Bible, things seem to happen at midnight. 
How many times has God woke you up to pray at midnight? I mean, not on the dot, y'all, now. Y'all like, well, not really. It was 1210. <laughs> All right. I mean, like, <laughs> early in the morning, God will wake you up to pray. Am I right about it? Well, sometime during the night, in the scriptures, God sent an angel and said, go down there and push that thing over. And hopefully these people will buy a clue. Notice the end of verse 3. Unwilling to accept this as an evil omen, the priest quickly picked Dagon up and put him back up on his stump. Now listen, look at me, please. I have told you, I do not think I am the brightest light bulb in the lamp. I don't think I'm the dimmest either. Don't think I'm the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I will tell you this. <laughs> Very smart people over there. <laughs> if you have to prop your God up, Houston, we have a problem. Am I right about it? I'm not that smart, okay? If you got to prop your God up, we got an issue. I'm glad. I serve a God who is able to prop me up. I'm going to wait. I am so glad I serve a God that doesn't need to be propped up. I am so glad I serve a God who is able to save and doesn't need saving. I mean, how does that sound? I have to put my God back up on his stump. Were you with me on Sunday? John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified, died and was buried in Joseph's cold moldy tomb. The Bible teaches Jesus destroyed the power of Satan. Death no longer has dominion over us. And unlike Dagon who needed help getting up, Jesus didn't need help getting up out of the grave on Easter Sunday morning. He didn't need help. The Bible teaches Jesus resurrected himself from the grave. Are you listening? Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? He has gotten us the victory. On Easter Sunday morning, somebody once called it the great getting up morning. And he didn't need help on that great getting up morning. Say amen. Clap your hands for the Lord. Will you do that? He didn't need help. If your God needs your help, you got a problem. You got the wrong God. Well, it actually gets better. Look at verse 4. And when they arose early the next morning, in verse 4, if you're looking at it, say amen. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon falling on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, the head of Dagon and both palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he 
ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh upon us. And y'all got to stop. I got to. <laughs> his hand is harsh upon us and, our, and, and Dagon, our God. Therefore, they sent and gathered together themselves, all the lords of the Philistines. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of, the God, of God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of God of Israel away. Okay, let's stop there. The next morning, verse 4. Just peek at it again. The next morning, same thing. They get up early. They go to the temple only to find this time Dagon had fallen on his face to the earth. Notice Dagon didn't fall backward. He fell forward. Dagon didn't lean over part way. He fell face down first before the feet of God. Doesn't that remind you? Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dagon fell before the ark of God. This was God's way of putting all in a position of worship toward him. Not only had he fallen this time, but he was de- decapitated and dismembered. So they, this time they get out the glue gun, <laughs> hammer and nails, trying to secure him. And get this. Don't you understand that God has a purpose in everything he does? There is nothing in the scriptures that has no purpose. There is a purpose. Say amen. Amen. There is a purpose in everything that God does. Did you catch this? He fell face down. God smashed his face in the dirt. Yes. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And he was decapitated. That was God's way of saying, your God has no wisdom. And he was dismembered. Your God not only has no wisdom, but he has no strength. Wisdom, strength. Now I'm reminded of Psalm 115, 1 through 8. David writes, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is where, saints? In heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. The idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. And those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. The writer here tells us that God is sovereignty, sovereign. And that means, if you're taking notes, God is God. The sovereignty of God is not just one in a long list of attributes of God like omniscience or omnipotent or infitude, which means that God knows no boundaries. Faithfulness, holiness, wisdom, all of these attributes flow out of his sovereignty. To say that God is sovereign means he does whatever he pleases in verse 3. You don't have to like it, but it's just the way it is. 
Because God is sovereign, there's no arguing with God. It's not our place to question or interrogate God. Somebody say amen. amen. It's not our place to question God or how God uses someone or how God puts someone up and puts another down or God chooses to use an individual here and another individual there. That's not for us to question. God is God and he does whatever he pleases. That's what makes him God. Are you listening? He does whatever he pleases. Raises up one, puts down another. Because he is God. He has that right. Does whatever he wishes. That's sovereignty. The idols of the world are silver and gold. The work of man's hands. Dagon is the work of man's hands. He has eyes, but he can't see what's, what, what you're going through. Ears, but can't hear your prayer. Hands, but can't reach out and touch. No help. You have to help him. Noses, but they don't smell. Feet, but they can't come and help you. They can't speak or mutter. No wisdom comes from their mouth. In verse 8, those who make them in Psalm 115, memory verse, those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. Listen, this is how it works. It works. You become, listen, you become, listen, you become like what you worship. Well, I'm going to thank you for people. You become like what you worship. You worship Lady Gaga, you're going to start looking weird. I'm just keeping it 100. That's all. You, you, I'm, that's 1,000. <laughs> keeping it 1,000. <laughs> you worship uh, ZZ Top or what? Is it as easy? Is it as easy? Those like hard rocker guys with like all the hair and the makeup and all that. Kiss them too. But there's a ZZ and there's ZZ Top. Okay. All right. I thought y'all were like telling me it wasn't. Stop talking to me. I'm preaching. <laughs> if you worship. <laughs> <laughs> it's out of control. If you worship those people, you're going like those people, you're going to look scary. Because they look scary. I don't care what nobody says, they look scary. You worship Michael Jackson, now he's gone on now, but still, if you worship Mike, folks are still doing it. They're still worshiping Elvis. That man been gone for years. Am I right about it? You worship Michael Jackson? You gonna start wearing pleather red jackets? Walking backward? And saying, woo hoo hoo. I'm just working here. I'm trying to get you to understand. 
You become like what you worship. If you worship your people, you know, you notice our culture, like we're really into animals nowadays. Have you noticed? Like, it's like really, a, it's kind of feeling a little creepy. And, and I, I have an animal. I love dogs. I mean, I love dogs. I have a dog. You guys know. Come by my office and you'll know. I have, a, I have a dog and he's very present. He's a very present help in a time of need. <laughs> he is. And uh, I, no problems. I love animals. But, you know, we shouldn't be worshiping these things. You know, nowadays it feels like we just, we, we want to gravitate and worship anything but God. But God, anything. But God, you will become like the thing you worship. So if you worship Jesus, then you become like Jesus. And you will have the fragrance of Christ. Right? 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aromas of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. We diffuse the fragrance of of Christ when you worship him. So in verses four and five, Dagon has been de-handed and de-headed. And now these pagan priests have a theological problem. And it's this, is this God of Israel greater than our God? Their answer is nah, let's just develop a new tradition. Amazing, instead of the Philistines recognizing that there's something wrong, that there's something supernatural happening here, instead of them turning away from a God that obviously can't help them and has never done anything good for them, they create another tradition and attach it to approaching their God. Verse 5 is the new tradition. When you come into the house of Dagon, you never step on the threshold. You jump across it. Verse 6 tells us, by the hand of the Lord, but the hand of the Lord was heavy and angry on the people of Ashdod, and God ravaged them and struck them with tumors. Now, when you close your ears to God, listen. When you close your ears to God, God will find another way to speak. They didn't get the message when God struck, them, struck down Dagon God says, well, let's take it up a notch. God struck them with tumors. Now, there's all kinds of speculation as to what these tumors were. Old school commentators describe them as hemorrhoids. Deuteronomy 28 talks about emrods, which were a kind of hemorrhoid. M-E, pardon me, E-M-E-R-O-D-S, emrods, Deuteronomy 28. That's a kind of hemorrhoid. New commentators describe them as these tumors as signs of like the bubonic plague. According to the rabbins, it was the swelling of the inward parts. It was beating Dagon upon his own dunghill and smiting his worshipers on the hinder parts, giving them like a spanking to a child. They called it paying their posterior. 
I like that. Next time you give your child a spanking, just tell them you're paying their posterior. And then there's a whole school of thinking that this was associated with the bubonic plague. The term bubonic plague comes from the Greek word meaning groin. Swollen lymph nodes, or I think it's pronounced buboes, B-U-B-O-E-S. Is that correct? Buboes? Have you heard of that? Is it buboes? Buboes. You've heard of it, Lindsay? Okay. And, And that's the swollen lymph node. And they occur in the armpits or the groin area. Bubonic plague, along with septicemia plague, comes from the bacteria Yersinia. Yersinia. Y-E-S-E-R-N-I-A pestis. That's the bacteria. That's the name of the bacteria. That invades the human body and attacks the lymphatic system. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.